Welcome to the Faith Podcast. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. We believe the Word of God has the power to transform your life to the life God has always meant for it to be. And we believe today's message will do exactly that. If you've been with us this, these last four weeks, we've been, we started a series for March and we called it The Slave Market, The Groves, and The Father's House. The Slave Market, The Groves, and The Father's House. And just as a quick review, as you turn to Romans chapter 5, we looked at multiple R's in the series. We looked at redemption. And we said redemption is viewing as mankind sold into the slave market of sin because of Adam's original sin. We said your sin did not put you in the slave market. You were born in the slave market. But once Jesus came, he opened the door. And by receiving him, all you have to do is walk out of the slave market. It doesn't matter what sin so easily besets. It doesn't matter what you're going through. Redemption purchases you out of the slave market, and then you can walk out. We talked about the gross, although we may be out of the slave market, we may not be where God wants us to be in the Father's house, so we get sidetracked in the groves. And the groves was the place where Israel would backslide and worship other gods. While you may not bow down to a physical God, there may be something in your life you may have put before God. So we talked about the groves and we talked about what does repentance mean. Repentance, we said, it means to change your mind and go the other direction. And then one of the reasons people end up going back to the groves is because they never renew their mind. So we talked about renewal and the importance of being in the Word of God every day, not just Sundayly, so that you don't go to the groves or you don't act like you're still in the slave market even though you've been freed. Then we talked about now that we're in the Father's house, everything that belongs to Jesus belongs to us because we are joint heirs with him. And we talked about three different areas why you could have lost something. You could have lost something because life isn't fair. You could have lost something because the enemy attacked. Or you could have given up things because you follow God. It seems like you're missing out. But the thing is with Jesus, God is the God of restoration. He is the God of recovery, which were the two R's we looked at that way. And it doesn't matter what you're going through that you can go forward and recover all. Then last week we looked at redistribution, that we're in the Father's house, so we know we're taken care of, but we shouldn't just take all that we have and enjoy it, but we should be passing out. So we looked at how the Bible says that healing and deliverance are the children's bread. And yes, we should be healed. Yes, we should be delivered, but we should be passing out samples. We should be going wherever we go, causing people to be healed, delivered, and set free. Amen? So now Romans 5, 5, looking at our text scripture for the series. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost who is given unto us. The Holy Ghost is the spirit of love, and he lives on the inside of us. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. When we didn't deserve it, when we weren't living right, Jesus died for us. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, someone even dared to die. But God commended, he showed, he proved his love toward us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. One of the things we've been talking about in this series, we, may ne- we must never forget, although you may be saved, been living for God for a while, you have to remember one of the main reasons Jesus came. He came to save sinners. He came to seek and to save that was lost. So although you're saved and you're working on your life, you're working on prosperity, you're working on your growth, but we can't forget that the mission of Jesus is still our mission. We still must reach sinners. We still must reach the broken. We still must heal the sick. We still must go out and do what God has called us to do and why do we do it the love of God compels us 
That same love that's poured out in our heart gives us the same mission that Jesus had. So let's go to Luke 19, and let's look at this triumphant entry. Luke chapter 19. Luke 19. Luke 19, verse 28. Luke chapter 19, verse 28. Saying, when he had thus spoken, he went before ascending up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he was come nigh to Bethpage and Bethany, at the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go ye into the village over against you, and which at your entering ye shall find a colt tied, whereon yet never a man sat. Loose him and bring him here. And if any man ask you, why do you loose him? Thus shall you say unto him, because the Lord hath need of him. And they that were sent went their way and found even as he said unto them. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto them, why loose ye the colt? And they said, the Lord hath need of him. And they brought him to Jesus and they cast their garments upon the colt and they set Jesus there on. So Jesus is entering his final week of his earthly ministry before the crucifixion and the resurrection. And God had spoken through Zechariah the prophet hundreds of years before that the Messiah King would enter Jerusalem riding a donkey and a colt. So a lot of times we look at the story and we just think about one donkey, but when you look at all the gospels together, Jesus had a donkey and a younger donkey, which is called a colt, brought to him. So imagine... That you're the one who owned the donkey and the colt. These two disciples come up to you and says, the Lord has need of them. Now think about it. You have need of them. That's why you own them. You didn't own them just to say, oh, that's a donkey outside. That's great. I got a donkey. No. You have need of it. That was a mode of transportation. That's how you carry things. That's part of your livelihood. That's part of your business. You have need of this donkey and this colt. But these disciples come and say, the master, the Lord, has need of them. The Lord has need of you. You see, when he said he had need of the donkey, that's not just transportation, the colt that no one had ever sat on. The donkey produced the colt. So not only does he have need of you, he has need of what you produce. So you may be famous in your area, in your arena, but he has need of not just you, but of your platform. He has need of you and what's in your bank account. He has need of you and your influence. He has need of you and your relationship. He has need of you and your time. You might say, well, the Lord doesn't have need of me. You don't understand. I'm just a small nobody. No, there's nobody who's a nobody in the kingdom of God. Everybody has a purpose. God has need of you today, Christian. You may be in here where I'm backslidden. I'm not living right for God, but he still has need of you today. You might say, well, I've messed up my life too bad. I've come back to God, but he can't use me. No, he has need of you today. doesn't matter where you are in your life. God has need of you. Whether you got it together, trying to get it together, or you're honest, man, my life is messed up. It doesn't matter where you are today. God has need of you. You have a purpose. You have a mission. God has need of you. So go to 1 Kings 17. 
Notice what the owners of the donkey and the coat had to do. Although they may have a need of these animals, the Lord's need superseded their need. So they allowed God to borrow, to use, and for a whole day, supposedly, they couldn't do what they planned to do. You know, the Lord may interrupt your plans. How do you like people just showing up and interrupting your plans? See, some people don't mind and just go with it, but I'm one of those people what gets on my nerves is I have this plan and someone just throws out a whack. And so, Jesus has the permission because he's Lord and Savior, not your Savior. You may have a plan, but God says, that's cute, that's nice, but I got a plan. And you shouldn't go, well, I've already had this plan. I planned out my next five years. I have these goals. I can do this. So I'm going to keep going forward. No, if he's Lord, okay, sir, have your way. Not just in the big things, but in the small things. Because the Lord has need of you. Doesn't matter how young you are, he has need of you. Doesn't matter how old you are, he has need of you. Doesn't matter if you're single or married, he has need of you. So 1 Kings 17, the Lord has need of you. First Kings chapter 17, look at verse 8. Now Elijah, the prophet of God, mighty man of God, went to the wicked king Ahab and told him, because Israel had turned from God, they've been in the groves. He says, as a result, no more rain unless I say so. After he said that, he left, he fled, because you know, the king wants to kill him, and it doesn't rain. God sends him to the brook Cherith and says, I will take care of you there. So he drunk water from the brook, and God had birds, dirty birds, bring him food. Now, sometimes you expect God to meet your need one way, but God's got a sense of humor. He may meet it another way. You may think, well, God, if you're going to feed me by birds, at least send an eagle. (laughs) At least send something, wow, why are you going to send me a falcon, a hawk? Weren't they eating roadkill just yesterday? (laughs) So he sends them, and one of the commentaries, Jewish commentary, says it wasn't just random food. They believed that God sent those dirty birds to the king's table and took the wicked king's food and brought it to the man of God. Sounds like wealth transfer to me. So he's there at the river until the brook dries up. Now, how many of you know that God may direct you one way to be at a certain place, but there comes a time you need to move. There comes a time you need to change. You can't say, well, God told me to go this way and do it this way. You have to check in with him because he may tell you, I need you to do this now. That's why you always inquire of the Lord. Let him lead you. Let him guide you. So verse 8, and the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongs to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. Notice, commanded is past tense. Now, he's been living by a river, drinking water, having dirty birds bring him something. So he's like, okay, God must have something next for me, because this seems to be running out. There's another resource he sends, because God is your source. Your job is not your source. God is your source. Your job is just a resource. 
And if God is your source, you can have multiple resources. You should have multiple streams of income. You don't have to just live by what your job can provide. Because then that means your boss can, can decide how you live or not. No, 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 no. Your boss is not your God. Now, when you go to work, you do excellence because you represent Jesus. You don't work unto man, you work unto Jesus. So when they hear about Christians working, they shouldn't hear, oh, those are the lazy people. No, no, no. We have to be excellent in everything we do, everything we set our hands to do. Not just adults, you teenagers, you have chores you're supposed to do. You're supposed to do them in excellence, not just because you got to do them. All right. Everything you do should be your habit of excellence. So he's thinking, I'm sure he's thinking that God must have some grand way to meet my need now. He says, I'm sending you to another country, to a Gentile, and she's a widow, and I'm commanding her to meet your needs. He may think, well, maybe she's got a lot of money, she's got nothing else to do. But notice that past tense, I've commanded her. So that means by the time he gets there, she already knows what she's supposed to do. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel, and I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, notice, sometimes we just read through it. It's a drought. It hasn't rained. The brook has dried up. Water is expensive. The Lord has already commanded her, I'm sending the man of God, you take care of him. So she comes and says, hey, can you give me a drink of water? You know, it's been a long journey. Sure, the Lord already told me you're coming. Let me go get you this water. So this is already this expensive act of faith and obedience to God. But sometimes we can have, be in obedience to God, but then God requires something that crosses the line we didn't think he was going to cross. The Lord has needed this. Cool. He also has need of that. Wait a minute, Jesus. You're going a little bit too far. I put a good dollar in the offering. What do you mean, tithe? Well, what do you mean I got to vote the way you tell me to vote? What do you mean I shouldn't watch that? The Lord has need of you. That when you walk with him, he may tell you, okay, now it's time to give up that. And if you're not willing to, that thing is your God. See, the Lord will talk to you about things giving up. You know, you can watch really whatever you want to watch within reason, but if he tells you for reason to give up a show, just give it up. If not, you're saying that show is more important to you than what God thinks. So he says, bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in your hand. And she says, as the Lord your God lives, I have not a cake but a handful of meal in a barrel and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I'm gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son that we may eat it and die. Look, man of God, look, preacher. I brought you some water. Now you know. Come on, God tells you everything else. You might as well know this. I don't have a lot. I'm bringing you some water. Just be happy. I don't have a lot of food left. I have enough for my last meal for me and my son. We're going to eat it, and then we're going to die. Talk about desperate straits. This is a serious situation. The preacher could say, oh, okay, go ahead and eat it and die. But notice what he said. And Elijah said unto her, fear not, go and do as you said, but make me there of a little cake first. He would be on CNN. <laughs> Can you believe this preacher asked 
asked this widow woman to make him a cake first. He'd be on the view too. All the ladies talking. Can you know about this preacher? Do you know about this preacher? He'd be everywhere. How dare he? But notice how God works things. There's always seed, then there's time, then there's harvest. She had a need. She didn't see anywhere outside of this need. God told her, take care of the man of God. She didn't realize this little piece of bread she was going to make was about to be her seed that would sustain her in times of trouble. So he said, don't be afraid. You can't fear tough times. So don't be afraid. No fear here. You cannot tolerate fear. Fear tolerated is faith contaminated. You should be afraid of nothing. And you shouldn't go watch things that's going to put fear in you. Go and watch things come home scared. What are you doing? If your fear is activated, it's just like faith. It's just the anti-version of faith. Faith opens you up to receive from God the things he wants you to have. Fear opens you up to receive from the enemy the things he wants you to have. So you go and watch stuff that's making you scared. Oh, yeah, I like being afraid, but you're going back with demons in a doggy bag. Fear not, go and do as you said, but make me there of a little cake first and bring it unto me. And after, make for thee and thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel. Notice he identifies himself as the Lord God of Israel, but she isn't in Israel. But he's still a covenant-keeping God. His fame is still known. The barrel mill shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat many days. So whoever was in her house was sustained because of this small seed, this morsel of bread caused harvest to come to her. She activated Seed time and harvest. And it lasted several months. There's no rain. It's a drought. Now there's a family. People are starving to death. But because this one woman obeyed the command of the Lord and gave what she had, God calls her, her son, everybody in her house to be sustained. And not only was it enough for them, it was more than enough. So it took care of the man of God too. So anybody in her house received from her seed. If you have a need, sow a seed. And the need is not always financial. It could be your time. It could be helping somebody. They're in a rough spot. Why don't you go over and help them? You showing mercy. You praying for somebody. Those are all seeds. There's always seed, time, and harvest. God will not forget a seed sown. He will not forget your labor of love, as Hebrews says. He has not forgotten what you've sown. So you keep your mouth right. You will reap your harvest if you faint not. So notice she had willingness. But her willingness was tested when the man of God requested something that was beyond what she thought she would have to give. So you have to be willing. But then also, you have to be ready. It's one thing to be willing. Oh, yep, God, you can do whatever you want me to do. Okay, you've called me to do this. Well, if God's called you to do something, you need to prepare for it. You can't say, oh, I'm called to do this. I'm called to be a business person. I'm called to be a teacher. I'm called to do this. If you never prepare for it, 
what's the point of being willing? So there must be a willingness, a readiness, and then there must be obedience. There must be willingness, there must be a readiness, and then there must be obedience. So will you let God use what you have? Will you let God use you? Will you let God use you when it's not popular? When God, everyone tells you to back down and do something else, will you let God use you, make a stand for holiness and faith, even when people are talking about you? Will you let God use you? If you're going to be ready, you have to get into position. Now, we can just use this baseball example. Now, how many of you know that people, to be ready, how many of you we expect by the time opening season comes in about a week, the Braves should be ready to play ball? Now, how many know their readiness is going to be different than a five-year-old playing t-ball for the first time? You ever watch those five-year-olds in the outfield playing t-ball, maybe even four if they're younger? Parents are cheering them on. Come on, pay attention. Look at that flower. A bug. Airplane. How many know they're not ready? Now, how many know... If in our MLB, the Braves were playing the same way. Look at Bug. That's so nice up there. And someone hit into the area. Oh, that's so... (laughs) They weren't ready. They were willing. They're on the field. But they weren't ready. So even if you're ready, you don't just watch for it. You get yourself into position. You have to hold your hands in the glove a certain way. And once you catch it, you got to... Close it, because what happens, you catch it and you drop it, doesn't count. You gotta be ready. You have to be in position. That's one of the other reasons you stay in the word and prayer. You're in position to receive. You're in position for God to use you. You're always inquiring of the Lord so you can hear from him. You're ready for him to use you no matter when he calls on you. So whether it's when you expect, oh, I feel super anointed today, so he's gonna use me today. Doesn't mean so. You could be feeling tired, you're walking through Kroger, and the Lord says, go pray for that person. Really? I don't even look spiritual. <laughs> Why are they going to receive from me? But you have to be open. I remember we were coming back from our vacation about a month ago, and we were driving back, and so I was stopping by a fast food place just to pick up a meal on the road so I can go back and get here by a decent time on Saturday night, so I'll be here on Sunday morning. And so I got my food, it was great. A spicy chicken sandwich on a pretzel bun. <laughs> Strawberry lemonade. Had some fries. Just looking forward to it. Walking out the door. And I passed one of the employees. And she was pregnant. And as I was walking out the door, the Lord started talking to me about that child. I said, like, oh, that's nice, Jesus. <laughs> Go tell her. Now, people are more open to receive from me when I'm dressed in a suit and I look like a preacher. Some of you guys don't even recognize me when I'm not in my suit. I've been in this building. I've walked out in the lobby because I just came from the airport. And people walk by, oh, good to see you. And they didn't know it was me. Oh, pastor. So I'm wearing shorts, baseball cap, hoodie. I don't look like a preacher. I'm like, come on, Jesus, really? Today? And so go back in and tell her. So I walk in. All of her other co-employees are with her. And I said, this might sound strange to you, but then I gave her the word of the Lord. And I said, that's all he told me to say, so God bless you. I'm on my way back to Atlanta. But you have to be open to God to use you no matter where you are. 
And the thing is, if you expect God to use you in a big way, you got to let him use you in the small ways. You have to be obedient. The steps of obedience you take today lay the foundation for the steps of obedience you take tomorrow. So if you expect God to use you in the future, let him use you today. Be open for him to use you today. So be willing and be ready and then obey. In Hebrews eleven seven, Noah prepared an ark by faith. He built an ark by faith. God told him something was going to happen that no one had ever heard of before, no one had seen before. So he sent him to work for years, about a hundred years working for something he had never heard of before or seen. So he had to work by faith. Notice he didn't say, speak me an ark. Believe me an ark. Nobody go cut down some trees and build an ark. So there's some things that is going to cause you that you're going to have to put some work out there and you do it by faith, even as not see it, there's a return that I know is coming. You have to put some work in. As we said a few weeks ago, add some hustle to your faith and some labor to your grace. Don't just stay at home all day. Oh, God's going to take care of it. Well, if you think God's going to meet your needs and you're not working, don't you know that God uses the labor of your hands to provide seed? The Bible also says the man who doesn't work doesn't eat. I don't know what you I like to eat. So you must work. You don't have to work off the strength of your flesh. Let God help you. There is a sweatless anointing. God can bless the work of your hands. That you put in your effort, God put his effort on your effort and you get more return. But you must let him use you. So there must be a willingness, there must be a readiness, and then there must be obedience. So are you preparing yourself? Are you prepared? Are you getting into position? Are you in a position to be used by God? Let's go to 2 Corinthians 8. Second Corinthians 8. We'll look at verse 10. Second Corinthians chapter 8. Second Corinthians chapter 8. There must be a willingness, there must be a readiness, and then there must be obedience. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Verse 10. And here and I give my advice, for this is expedient for you, this is good for you, this is beneficial for you, who have begun before not only to do, but also to be forward a year ago. Now therefore perform the doing of it. That there was a readiness to will so that there may be a performance also out of that which you have. Go to chapter 9, verse 1. For as touching the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you. For I know the forwardness of your mind that you were for which I boast of you to them which are of Macedonia and Achaia, that you were ready a year ago, and your zeal has provoked very many. Yet have I sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this behalf, that as I said, you may be ready. Lest happily, if they of Macedonia come with me and find you unprepared, we, not, we say, not ye, should be ashamed in this same confident boasting. So what happened? There was a need at one of the churches. So Paul told the church at Corinth the need, and they all stood up, we're going to meet that need. We're going to give more than everybody else. We're going to do this big offering. We're going to bless all these people. We're going to bless that nation. We're going to do it. 
And they were so confident in their boats and all the other churches Paul heard about, had started, heard about it. So they began to say, oh, no, we're going to give. We're going to give. Come on, if Corinth can do it, we're going to do it. So they all got together. Even the church that was in a place where it was made up of ex-convicts, it was made of people who lost their job. So there's a lot of people in that congregation in Philippi that didn't have money. They provided this huge offering to bless these people in another place who they may never meet. And so a year later, Corinth still hasn't sent in their gift. You said, y'all were willing. Y'all said y'all are ready. Now do what you said. You can be willing, you can be ready, but then it takes a step of faith to actually do what you said you were willing to do. And so Paul said, I'm sending some people before to encourage you so that by the time I get there, y'all have already done it. So that we get there, that's when you get to chapter 9, when we read earlier, it's not of necessity. It's not grudgingly. Oh, we said we're going to do it. We might as well do it now. No, God loves a cheerful giver. You've already said all these things. You've boasted about it. Now do what you said you're going to do. So there must be a willingness. There must be a readiness. Then there must be obedience. With the woman in 1 Kings 17. And even the owners of the donkey, they were willing to be used by God. They were ready. That donkey was tied there where it was supposed to be. This woman was gathering sticks. She was ready. But then it comes the moment that all counts. When God says, I have need of you, or I need you to do it, will you say yes? It's great to be prepared. It's great to be willing. It's great to be ready. But you must say yes. Go to Psalm 118. Will you let God use you? And not just use you in the way you want him to use you. Because sometimes we're like, yep, God, you can use me to do this, that, and the other. But what if he doesn't want to use you to do that? Now, we look at Paul's life, and he was called to be the apostle to the Gentiles. But he wanted to be the apostle to the Jews. That's what he wanted to do. And so, you know, if you're the apostle to the Gentiles, when you go to a new city, you should go to where the Gentiles are, right? The first stop, he went to the synagogue. How many know there's not too many Gentiles at the synagogue? Why? That was his heart passion. You may have a passion to do something that God has not called you to do. And so some of the trouble Paul went through wasn't just because Satan was persecuting him, it was because he wasn't at the right place doing the right things. He had a good motive, a good heart, but he wasn't doing the right thing. It's not just about your heart and your motive, but it's about executing the plan as God told you to. And so Paul had this motive, but he wasn't called to do that. You also have to know the order of the things you're called to do. You can't get things and callings out of order. You can't sacrifice your family for the sake of your job. Your first job, your first ministry is to your family at home. And then you can't sacrifice your job for a hobby. Things are out of order. And so God gave Paul an order. He said, you're called to preach to the Gentiles first, then to kings and those in influence, and then to the Jews. So there would be times God would use them to go that direction. But number one, do what I've called you to do. And so anytime Paul went out of order, trouble followed. But then when there was a man of God called Apollos, he would come to preach. The Jews loved him and they got saved. Why? He was called to minister to them. Peter was called to minister to them, but that wasn't Paul's call. So you must be ready, you must be willing, but you must obey what God has called you to do. And don't look at someone else's lane. Don't try to get in someone else's lane. That's dangerous, what we talked about on Wednesday night. Make sure you're in the lane doing what God has called you to do and don't compare yourself because you're always comparing yourself to somebody else. You can get into somebody else's lane. 
Just like if you're driving on 285, 75, 85, wherever you're driving, as you drive, if you keep looking to the left, subconsciously you're turning the car to the left. Look to Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. The one who made your race. Run your race. Don't be bothered by what someone else is doing. Don't compare yourself to somebody else. You're not competing against anybody. The only person you're competing against is the call that's on your life. Compete so that you may fulfill your role, not somebody else's. So Psalm 118. This was the psalm they were quoting when Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is what they were saying as Jesus came in. They began to quote what the angels said when Jesus was born. When you read in Luke 19, it says, peace in heaven. What is that? The war between heaven and earth is over. God has sent Jesus and he brings us to peace with God. So Psalm 118 is what they were quoting, what they were singing. And it begins, saying, oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he is good because his mercy endures forever. That's what we did this morning. He is good. His mercy endures forever. And over the next few verses, he's telling everybody else, say that his mercy endures forever. So this is something that should be in, his, in our mouth. His mercy endures forever. His loving kindness endures forever. His compassion endures forever. Then he said, verse 5, I called upon the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. The word distress also means a tight spot. I was in a tight spot between a rock and a hard place. I called upon the Lord, and he put me in a wide open place. He delivered me from my trouble. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? The Lord takes my part with them that help me. God is bringing people to help me no matter what I'm going through. Therefore shall I see my desire upon them that hate me. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. We are confidence, our faith, and our trust can't be in the government, can't be in other people, can't be in our ability, can't be in our education, can't be in who we know. Our confidence, our trust, our faith, our reliance has to be in God alone because he's the only one who can see us through and put us on top. All nations, all the heathen can pass me about, but in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. What happened? They came to kill him. He is surrounded. It's impossible for him to win this victory. But he says, God will cause me to win the victory through his authority, through his fame, through his name. Verse 13, thou hast thrust sore at me that I might fall. Y'all have done your worst to knock me down. But the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and song and has become my salvation. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tabernacles of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. How was he delivered from the situation? How was he delivered from the problem? The right hand of God. The hand of the Lord came upon him and gave him victory. When he looked through the Old Testament, the hand of the Lord would come upon the prophets and men and women of God and they would do supernatural things that men could could not explain. The hand of the Lord came upon Elijah and he outran the king's chariots. The hand of the Lord came upon Ezekiel and lifted him to another place. Who is the hand of the Lord? He is the Holy Ghost. So the Holy Spirit will come upon them, rest upon them, enable them to do supernatural things. So it didn't matter how bad things looked around them. When the power of the Holy Ghost, the power of that anointing will come upon them. They could run through a troop. They could leap over a wall. They could do supernatural things by the power of God. It wasn't their might or their ability, but it was by the Spirit of the living God. Amen. 
So it says the right hand of God, the Holy Ghost delivered me. One of the things they would say about the right hand of God, they've known as Jews, they've known since they were three. They would know, they were taught these three things. He blesses, he guides, and he delivers. He blesses, he guides, he delivers. The Holy Ghost is upon me, so he will bless me, he will guide me, and he will deliver me. And as a result, he says, I'm not going to die. It's not going to take me out. I'm going to live and declare the works of the Lord. He talks about God correcting him from where he missed it. But he talks about how God has become his salvation. And then he gets into this place. He's not just talking about his situation, but now he's prophesying about Jesus. So the stone, verse 22, which the builders refuse has become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing and it's marvelous in our eyes. He's bringing me out. It's God's doing. It's marvelous in my eyes. They're going to reject Jesus one day, but what God's going to do through him is marvelous in my eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. What day? The day of salvation. The day of deliverance. The day of the right hand of God. This is the day he has made. This is my day of victory. This is my day of salvation. This is my day of deliverance. He has made this day for me. That's what you have to wake up. This is my day. This is the day God's made for me. You can't get out the bed, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. Stop saying what you don't know what you're going to do. Say what God is going to do for you, what God is going to do through you, what God's going to do to you. Keep hope and expectation in your heart because if you don't have hope, your faith can't do what it's intended to do because your faith brings the hope into reality. So you need to always be a dreamer. You always need to have a goal. You always have to have a vision because your faith will bring it into reality. And when you in the church hearing the word of God. You're in the word of God every day. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You're getting your faith strong so you can bring something that's unseen into the seen realm. So you don't have time to be depressed. You don't have time to be sad. You just have time to say, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Why you can rejoice? God made this day for me. He made this time for me. I may not see it yet, but I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to celebrate. Have all these enemies around me. All these haters around me but I'm not paying attention to me to them because this is the day God has made for me so I'm going to rejoice I'm going to get excited I'm going to celebrate because God did it for me that's how you have to start your day I remember reading about Lester Sumrall and he asked Miss Wigglesworth how do you feel and Smith was in his 80s at the time and he says I don't ask Smith how he feels. I tell Smith how he feels. So I'm going, well, how do you feel? No, 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 you tell yourself how you feel. Because your emotions are subject to change. You can be mad one moment, happy the next. Your emotions are subject to change. Even what's going on in your body is subject to change. Everything you see is subject to change. And then he went on to say, he said, I start my day with 15 minutes of high praise dancing before the Lord. Now, he's 80-something, so I'm not sure what that looked like. (laughs) But he still prays and danced before the Lord. And it's like, well, what did God use that man to do? Well, they're debating whether he raised 18 people from the dead or 23. That's still a good number, between 18 or 23. Some of us are still working on number one. (laughs) Just call it an apostle of faith, an apostle of healing. I go back and read his works, and they said he wasn't the most educated person, 
And so he would preach, and you see, when he was preaching, okay, you could have said that better, but the anointing was on it. But he was so used by God in tongues and interpretation, when he would give a message in tongues and interpretation, even the dialect of his English changed. The Holy Ghost. So you may not have the education prepared to the best of your ability. Now you're in the situation you're in. He says, well, I only can go so far. Well, the hand of the Lord is on you. It's not about what you can do. It's about what he can do. What in your Christianity was about well, your effort anyways? It's all by grace. You were saved by grace. So the thing is, you're not supposed to live this life, oh, all that I can do, I'm trying to make it work. No, you depend on the Holy Ghost. You're led by the Holy Ghost. You follow the Holy Ghost, and he will do supernatural things and help you at every point in time. You're not by yourself. So stop trying to live like you're on your own. Come on, single parent, you're not raising your kids by yourself. You say your spouse is not acting right, you're not in it by yourself. Someone in your family is not doing the right thing, you're not, you're not the only person that got saved and power in your family. He said, well, I'm the only one that's born again. But when you got born again, Jesus moved on the inside, so he'll work on your family too because you're there. Doesn't matter how bad things look at your job, it's not just you there, Jesus came with you. It's not by what you can do. It's about what can he do. Glory to God. Then it goes on. Save now or Hosanna. I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. So when they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, they're saying, save now, deliver now, send now prosperity. So they expected when their Messiah King came in, that Messiah means the anointed one with his anointing. So they expected that anointing that was upon their King. When he came in, he would save, he would deliver, he would prosper. It's by that anointing. He said in Luke 4, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me. And he went down the list and at the end to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. To proclaim the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee was the day when everything was restored unto them. What they lost were the things that were in debt, supernatural debt cancellation. It was every 50 years. You might think, well, wait, what, what year is that 50? I'm looking for that 50 years. I need something restored. But when Jesus said, I'm here to proclaim the year of Jubilee, the year of the favor of God, if you are in Christ, every year is the year of restoration. If you're in Christ, every year is the year of jubilee. If you're in Christ, every year is the year of supernatural debt cancellation. It doesn't matter where you are right now, but if you are in Christ, in the anointed one, in his anointing, the hand of the Lord is upon you and he can bring you out. Hosanna in the highest. That's what they were saying. That's what they were singing as Jesus came in. So let's close in Matthew 21. Remember that psalm started all talking about the mercy of God. That mercy, that love, the same love we read about in Romans chapter 5. It's the love that caused him to send Jesus. Matthew 21. Verse 8, 
And a very great multitude spread their garments away. Others cut down branches from the trees and straw them away. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed he that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? This celebration of the anointing and the anointed one moved the entire city. They were like, who is this? When I was going over this message yesterday, the Lord let me know he wants to move Atlanta again. So all the metro area goes, who is this? And he replied, it's Jesus. You see, the thing is, these people allow God to use what they had that donkey, that colt, and they came in and the whole city was moved because people allowed what they had to be used by God. The donkey became a carrier of salvation, a carrier of deliverance, a carrier of prosperity, a carrier of healing, a carrier of the anointing. If a donkey can carry deliverance into a city, why can't you? The hand of the Lord is upon you. Jesus the Christ lives on you. The Holy Spirit rests upon you. It's time for the city to be moved again. But you must be ready. You must be willing. And then you must be obedient. It's pray for and talk about a great awakening, but you must be ready to be used in this awakening. You must stay in the word, stay in prayer, stay in faith and hope and walk in love. And not just focus on what you can do for yourself. Yes, the hand of the Lord will bring you out, but the hand of the Lord is upon you. As we said last week, it's time for you to bring someone else out. It's time for you to pass out bread. It's time for you to win others. It's time for you to make a difference. It's great that healings happen here every week, but it's even better when you go to Croker and healings happen there. When you go to work and healings happen there. You teenagers, you're at school and you get somebody healed. Wherever you go, healings happen. In your neighborhood, people get healed. Wherever you go, by the healing power of God. This tent anointing is not just for Sunday morning and Wednesday night. It's for your life. It's one of the reasons on Wednesdays we're talking about the anointing and how to become prolific and proficient in it. So we don't just flow in the anointing when we come to church, but we flow in the anointing wherever we go. We don't desire an anointed moment. We desire an anointed life. So to close, I remember hearing Bishop preach this a number of times, but I think I really only grasped the significance either in my late teens or my early 20s. And he said he would pray this prayer a long time ago at the beginning of his ministry. Lord, use me till you use me up. And so I'm sure I've heard him preach that before. But this one day I actually began to consider that prayer. And have I prayed that prayer? And I began to think about that. And when you think about it, really thinking about it, it's kind of scary. Use me till you use me up. That means there's nothing left. That's like that song we like to sing, I'm withholding nothing. I surrender all. And I began to think about it. And I was like, but Jesus, you're worth it. So use me till you use me up. And then I added, fill me up and use me again. You must be willing and ready and then you must be obedient. You must let God use you. I remember one of the youngest prayers I would pray since I was young, God, I want you to use me. I want you to use me. I want you to use me. After that, it was like, God, I want you to anoint me. Because see, the thing is, 
There's no purpose of anointing if you don't have a purpose. If you're not doing any work or service, there's no use of you being anointed. The anointing is not just to give you goosebumps, make you feel good. The anointing comes with a purpose. You must be about the Father's business like Jesus was. You must use that anointing to do something. But sadly, so many of us are out of service. So let's think about this example. Let's say you're going into this big complex and you just park there because you really had to use the restroom. And so you're like, I can't make it home. I need to find the restroom. So you're looking through this big building. They see a sign that's all the way down there. So you're moving as quickly as you can because now you're in pain. <laughs> you get to the door. You think relief is near. And on the door it says, out of service. You see, the world is in crisis, the world is in pain, and they come to the Christian, and on the Christian face it says, out of service. But the hand of the Lord is upon you. You have the answer. You must be willing, you must be ready, now you must be obedient, for the Lord has need of you. Not just the preacher. Truth be told, the Bible says we're all preachers of reconciliation. We all have a purpose and a call. You may not stand behind this pulpit, but there's a place in your life you must tell people. You can't be out of service anymore. Come on, you can't be AWOL. You can't desert your place. The same love in Romans 5 should motivate you to be willing, to be ready, and to be obedient. message. If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, but you would like to today, I encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your Son. I believe He died for me, and on the third day, He raised Him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me now. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Spirit, and help me to live this Christian life. If you pray that prayer, or you just want to contact us because the ministry has been a blessing to you, Email us at info at FCCGA.com. That's info at FCCGA.com. We would love to hear from you. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, you want to give financially, also go to FCCGA.com and you'll find out how to do so there. Enjoy your week and wherever you go, remember to make Jesus' faith.